This is J.M. DeMatteis, and you're listening to the Amazing Spider Talk podcast. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. I'll be in 1962 last Wednesday's afternoon. They'll bend your ears with reckless self-abandoned. The Amazing Spider. Of the amazing spider Come swing through the air Sit back and prepare For the amazing spider Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. And I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog, author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, and I also own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but Dan, you know this, the annuals do not count. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, for the sixth episode of the third season of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. If you want to learn everything that we know about Spider-Man, why not start by subscribing to our show all the way back to the first season? And if you want to, you can enjoy our show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or your podcast player of choice. We'd love to have you along for our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, just head on over to AmazingSpiderTalk.com for all the details about where to subscribe. In this third season of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk, we've been following our favorite web-slinger through the transition into the Bronze Age, a time period that is known for its darker tone and sometimes outlandish stories. And there'll be a few of them today, Dan. Uh, today, we'll be taking a look at the first semi-official Spider-Man B title, albeit one that doesn't even have his name on the, t- on the title. Yes, we are talking about... Marvel team up. And Mark, I have to admit, I had never read these stories before. So I put my head down and read the 70 issues of Marvel team up that we'll be discussing today in a little over a week. Oh it was my a goodness. lot of Marvel team up. Uh, Mark, you know, the series pretty well, but we wanted to be sure that we had another expert on the show to balance out these issues and, and balance out our knowledge of these issues. So we invited our good friend J.M. DeMatteis back on the show. He was one of the writers of later Marvel team-up issues that we're not going to be talking about here, but he's going to talk about like his experiences writing these stories and kind of the format of the book. Awesome, awesome. And yes, if you want to read along with us, we'll be talking specifically about Marvel team-up issues number one through number 70. And I guess the annuals during that era? Did you read the annuals too, Dan, or just those 70 issues? Oh, I knew I was missing something. I should have gotten Uh... those annuals. You know, I just couldn't find them uh, anywhere. Okay. Well, anyway, these issues are hard to come by, and uh, most aren't even on Marvel Unlimited or available to purchase digitally. Uh, so we'll be talking about them more from a helicopter view. So, so don't worry if you haven't read them. That said, these are fun to find in your local uh, comic book store long boxes. And I do think uh, the Claremont Burn uh, run is collected in a trade paperback. So you can you can try and find that somewhere too. And that's definitely worth reading. So uh, yeah, check those out. We'll talk about them in greater detail as. We move forward. But um, as always, this episode wouldn't be possible without the support of our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. 
all 70 issues of research. If you enjoy the show and want to help us continue while getting amazing bonus content and additional episodes that we never release publicly, go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining the team. All right, Dan, let's get ready to do battle before we inevitably realize our mistake and band together for our discussion of Marvel Team Up. All right, Dan, uh, before we start talking about some more specific impressions we have of Marvel Team Up and get to our interview with uh, JMD, I thought we would go through a little history lesson from Professor Mark. What do you think about that? Sounds good to me. Are you going to give me a <laughs> you know, Pokemon at the end of this? Oh, oh see, I that, that went over my head, Dan. I am not I am not of the Pokey generation. So unless unless it's Poke Bowls, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't like, oh, I don't associate that with you either, but okay. Yeah, but no, I really don't do those two, but I, I guess I guess I know more about them than, than Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Well Awful. why don't you talk about something you do know about? Yes, which is Marvel Team Up, which is a book that for some reason I just found myself deep diving into many, many moons ago to the point where I think when we started doing this new format of this series, Dan, I was like, where's going to be a Marvel team up episode, right? And you're like, what? <laughs> I wasn't even a hundred percent certain that this was a Spider-Man oriented book. Cause it's just, I, I never thought about it that way. I guess I, I mean, I'd seen enough of it to know that it was a Spider-Man book, you know, mostly I'd say like what, like 10% of it is not, um, there's like a few issues here and there, but like, I never really made that connection in my head. And for some reason I just kind of missed it. It was before my time of really becoming a hardcore junkie. And boy, I'm glad that you, you know, put it on our list because it, it having read it all now, it, it really seems like seminal in, in some ways. Yeah, I mean, for the record, my, my introduction to the series, Dan, was actually through the Marvel Tales reprint series uh, in the late 80s. They were at that point reprinting a lot of the Marvel team-up stories that we're, we're going to be talking about today, uh, specifically the Claremont Byrne ones. Um, I actually had the one with um, the them fighting the living Pharaoh, and it was Havoc and Spider-Man. I think, uh, I forget which issue specifically, but it's Spider-Man like, kind of getting zapped in the middle of the two of them. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, it's issue 69. I just read uh, it yesterday. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, um, so that was kind of my introduction to the series. And then, you know, at a later date, I got to read it all the way back from the beginning. But like, like we said in the intro, these issues are hard to come by. But the, the first issue was published in 1972. Uh, it, the whole series ended up running for 150 issues before its cancellation in 1985. Uh, and that book was actually replaced by Web of Spider-Man. Uh, I guess you could say a more truer Spider-Man B book, right? Yeah, I, but although I think the quality here might be more like higher on average. Of course, Web of was supposed to be the uh, like the Peter Parker on the job book. And, you know, I don't know if it always followed that format either. Whereas Marvel Team Up, I think, was a, a kind of a far more safer format in terms of what the book was about. Because so 
for the record, when they did start this book, it was actually meant specifically as a vehicle for Spider-Man and Human Torch. Of course, you know, Human Torch did have like his own kind of solo series from the Fantastic Four with Strange Tales way, way back in the day in the 60s. And of course, you know, Spider-Man and Human Torch had that whole best frenemies forever thing going on, which uh, we talked about during our uh, our review of our Essentials series, uh, the, the Spider-Man Human Torch miniseries. So... Actually, though, this book so it was only the first three issues that starred Spider-Man Human Torch before they started pairing Spider-Man off with a bunch of different people. I mean, what do you think? I mean, would you have wanted to see this strictly just be those two characters? I mean, I think it would have to be more even-handed. I think I would have liked more of Spider-Man and Human Torch in this, although sometimes we even got Human Torch books with no Spider-Man in them. But I think like part of the flavor of this book is just getting each issue a new person for him to team up with. And also trying to watch these writers thread that needle because sometimes they're doing like six part stories where they have to bring a new person to team up with Spider-Man in, in each issue. And it almost becomes like a sort of like game of telephone in some ways. It's like, you know, you're watching this story just morph throughout. And I think some of that flavor would have been lost if it was just Spider-Man and Human Torch. But I mean, again, who's to say that book would, could have been really fun, too. Yeah, I mean, Marvel was very strategic, or maybe they weren't strategic, but it kind of worked out strategically uh, with how they integrated who was going to be starring in these books with Spider-Man. You know, for example, Marvel Team-Up number eight had the cat slash Patsy Walker in the story. And at that point, her solo book was like really on like, you know, death's doorstep, so to speak. So clearly they were trying to like get a boost from having her with a, in a book with Spider-Man, which Marvel still does that kind of stuff today. I mean, like, you know, like they'll throw Mar uh, Spider-Man or Deadpool in a book that's like, sad, you know, flagging. I mean, you know, like I remember the Morbius solo series from a few years ago and all of a sudden like Superior Spider-Man starts showing up in it. Like, you know, like, oh, this will help him out. Right. <laughs> yeah. And while we're speaking, actually, we're already like a what, three or four issues into a new Marvel team up series that just got launched, except this time it's, um, you know, starring Kamala Khan as Miss Marvel, and the first team up was with Spider Man. So now the shoe is kind of on the other foot. Yeah, definitely. And then, like, another example of something they would do is if a character was about to get their own book, uh, they would often kind of have like a, a prelude in Marvel team up. Like we saw that with a uh, werewolf by night in Marvel team up number 12. Mm -hmm. uh, that came out about a month before his own solo book launched uh, by Marvel. Like when they started doing more of their monster books. And again, we saw this a few years ago, famously in the avenging Spider-Man series, which is kind of, I guess a sister book, mm -hmm. if you will, to Marvel team up. And uh, in that, you know, that book, I think, I think it was issue 11 or 12 had Carol Danvers premiere as Captain Marvel for the first time and that book has for what it's worth since like gone up in value astronomically which just still kind of blows my mind because like I actually remember getting that book kind of being like ah, oh, whatever <laughs> <laughs> it's sitting on my bookshelf right here I can look at it and know that it's worth a lot of money but like I, I'm not sure I'm going to sell it you know that point yes it was a way to try out new characters but I felt like it was also a way to try out new like writers and artists on Spider-Man to see whether they could go on to amazing Spider-Man or even eventually spectacular Spider-Man. It seemed like a kind of trial run book in that regard too. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you actually go back and look at the list of creators who worked on this book, it's kind of a, it ends up being a who's who for Spider-Man. I mean, like you had 
Tom DeFalco, JMD, as we mentioned, John Byrne, uh, Sal Buscema, Bill Mantlo, all of them went on. If you know, not not all of them went on to write Amazing, but they would have long runs on other Spider-Man books like Spectacular uh, and Web on. I think uh, David Michelinie also uh, was in this book for a few issues. Uh, actually, of all the really famous writers who had a pretty pronounced run on this book who'd never got a real crack at Spider-Man beyond Marvel team up, which kind of kills me is Chris Claremont. So uh, go figure, right? Yeah. And we'll definitely be talking more about those issues in a little bit. What, but like, I think each writer you could kind of very quickly, at least in my binge read of this, like you could see who was interested in what in regards to the character. Like as soon as Jerry can't comes in, like the books really feel like Jerry Conway stories where he's kind of mixing in, like, you know, social and political commentary throughout um, and kind of working in his kind of monster, you know, mode that he was, you know, became famous for. Um, like a lot of these stories, like his stuff was much more interested in in the Gwen Stacy and what's going on with her referencing her death and the clone that came back. And although Claremont is also very good about that, too, it was just surprising to me of all the guys that didn't actually write Spider-Man. His seems very much involved in the world of Spider-Man, more so than I think like Bill Mantlo, who here and there sometimes dipped into Spider-Man. But a lot of his books are more like wild and crazy, you know, take Spider-Man to different universe kind of stuff. Each creator obviously brings their own kind of flair to the book. But at the same token, like this, this book was clearly struggling from having a consistent voice, I would say. I mean, like, that's kind of its biggest strike. I mean, like, none of none of these writers were on the book more than a handful of issues at a time before they kind of got, um, they would move on or they went on to the main book or, you know, then Spectacular Spider-Man was launched and that took them off that. So this is a really kind of fragmented book in terms of its tone and what they're trying to go for. Um, you know, and just and not to get, overly pedantic here but you know we are describing it as a spider-man book it's for the most part considered to be book but for the record he did not appear in 11 issues although one of those 11 did star aunt may as the herald of galactus the twinkie eating herald of galactus so you know just in case you needed to you know find that issue somewhere (laughs) the golden Um, oldie (laughs) what's so fascinating to me about this book and what i was you know, not what I was expecting before I picked it up is that this book has gained a reputation for, you know, being the book where, you know, every book is structured the same way where two heroes meet up. There's a misunderstanding. So they fight each other before they come to a re-understanding and fight against, you know, a mutual villain. And reading through this, I was surprised how many books are not that. Like, I would say the majority of them are not that structure. And many of them are long continuing stories that are told through six issues or even up to like 10. Bill Mantlo has this whole time traveling Spidey thing that goes on for like 10 straight issues. That is this kind of like continuing thread. And I thought a lot of these would be more inventory kind of throwaway issues. And some of them are. But, um, you know, there was an attempt at like long form structured narrative in this book beyond what I was expecting and and even when it um you know when it when it's not i felt like the characters voices are often very strong in this like whoever the guest is they really try to dive deep into that world i think often to the detriment of spider-man whose world isn't particularly well showcased here or the ideas of the character are not always well showcased um i've been doing this thing on twitter where i've been cataloging 
how many times Spider-Man has murdered someone. And this book certainly adds a fair number to that collection. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost like it's a Spider-Man book, but sometimes like it, he always seems to be second fiddle, except for with a few writers. Is it truly a Spider-Man book or not? It does have a couple of interesting first appearances, certainly in the run that we're going to discuss. I guess these are characters that are kind of more bigger to Marvel than just to Spider-Man. But we had in uh, Marvel team up number 65 was the first appearance, well, the first U.S. appearance of Captain Britain and the first overall appearance of a villain that we know quite well from the last Hunted arc, which is Arcade, uh, who would really become known as an X-Man villain. But, you know, go figure. He started his whole murder world thing with Spider-Man. It's so fascinating, too, because he comes into the story as if he was a pre-established character. Like, they really kind of just throw you right into Arcade's whole shtick. You know, it, like, reading it, it reads like Arcade has been around for forever. Maybe it's just been bouncing around Claremont's mind for a long time. I mean, he's, he's kind of, I mean, the whole murder roll concept is kind of like Mysterio light. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like it reminded me of, like, the madness of Mysterio, like, Ramita Stan Lee story that we talked about. Uh, last season for a little bit uh, in terms of like its whole setup and kind of like, you know, the House of Horrors death trap that it is, although they're not illusions. They're really going to kill Spider-Man here. I think um, Spider-Man even remarks as such. He's like, I've already got Mysterio and Mirage for this. Yeah. You know, well, maybe, that was, maybe that was <laughs> Claremont's way of saying I'm eventually going to make this guy an X-Men villain. Yeah, right. <laughs> Another big uh, first appearance, although I... I <laughs> We could argue if this is truly a character that is a famous character or more more, more a character famous for their death, but that is uh, ca- Police Captain Gene DeWolf, who first appeared in Marvel Team Up number 48, along with uh, The Wraith, which would be a storyline that would get um, referenced by Dan Slott a few years ago, right? In a very different way. Uh, like yes. It couldn't be more different. Yeah, that's like a, like what, five or six issue story with Gene DeWolf and she comes back through multiple different writers. So like she kind of becomes one of the continuing ongoing characters throughout Marvel team up. And there are a few characters like that. Like there's this drunk guy that shows up on like the docks every now and again to give like sage wisdom before. And he's always something crazy happens. And he always looks at his bottle and he's like, I've got to get, you know, kick this booze. But uh, yeah, I mean, I would say in the Marvel team up world, Gene DeWolf is like a major character. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And then, of course, Dan, there may be no bigger first appearance in the universe of Marvel characters as your favorite villain and I in Marvel Team Up number 19. Wait, maybe maybe he should introduce himself. What do you think about that, Dan? I mean, if you've got him on hand. All right, hold on, hold on. And if you don't recognize that voice, that's none other than Stegron, the Dinosaur Man, who makes his first appearance in Marvel Team-Up number 19. Beautiful, Dan. That, that was a good guess. I didn't think you would get who, who, who that was, but, you know, because, you know, you're, our video's turned off for, for bandwidth purposes right now, so you wouldn't have seen him. <laughs> I don't know that it could ever, like, encapsulate Stegron's full glory in a tiny screen like that. Well, I'm just glad that his mother, uh, you know, allowed him to come with us today. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Stegron, for, for making your presence known.
on that note, actually, that issue is like, you know, one of the first appearances of uh, Sal Buscema on this book, who is probably the most consistent artist uh, on the book. And you can see him slowly kind of develop his style that he would later kind of really like unveil with uh, JMD when they did the, you know, their their child within stuff. You know, Sal brought with him, I think, something that became a staple of the series, which is each issue had a double page splash of something truly amazing happening in it. And Stegrons was the one that like kind of stood out to me first, where it's like the dinosaurs kind of taking over Manhattan. And, uh, you know, this became like a, like one of the things I looked forward to the most in this book is just, I feel like they just kind of let Sal go crazy after a while and every book he was sure to kind of do something that would just knock it out of the park. Yeah, definitely. Which again, it just goes to show like, Kind of, I mean, I think a lot of people consider Spectacular like the tryout book, but I think pre-Spectacular, it was this book. This was the book that kind of got a lot of people their start, whether it be on Spider-Man or just Marvel as, you know, as a whole. I mean, like this, this, because it was a book that for the most part was under the radar. And I feel like, you know, Marvel under the radar, while it could be a dangerous place in terms of chaos and, and maybe some really outlandish whacked out stuff it also allowed a lot of writers and artists to be really creative and and to kind of create uh, a mark for themselves i mean you know at the end of the day dan it's it's funny like and jmd is going to talk about this when when we have him on like you know one breath it's like marvel team up and you and it's starring spider-man he's the ultimate loner character so like why would you even think to pair him off with all these different characters yep I think part of the reason why I have such an affinity for this story is like this is really how I became exposed to a lot of really weird and unique um, corners of the Marvel Universe. I mean, sure, you have these team ups with the Captain Americas and the Iron Mans and the Thors. And, you know, it's always great to see the A-listers. But like, you know, this is this is also the book where. Um, you know, Spider-Man's with Black Widow and fighting the Silver Samurai and and Boomerang and like you know he's he's got Iron Fist and Power and Power Man in the in these books before they were really a thing and uh, obviously we talked about Werewolf by Night he, he's with the Frankenstein monster for God's sakes I mean like this is some really kooky stuff and I think like reading this series has allowed me to really learn a lot about the Marvel universe as a whole. And that's, that's why I've always appreciated it. Yeah. And I'll I'll speak as someone who just binged all these issues. I don't think that this book is bingeable. Like it's not, it's not a book you're going to want to sit down and read 70 of like I did Um, because it is very like, I don't know if it's formulaic more than it is a lot of punching over and over again. I don't think these are the deepest plots, but they're definitely some of the craziest plots I've ever read in a Marvel book. And to that, you know, to the point you were just making is like, it's, you can really see Marvel trying out new things in this book. And some of them are not successful. There are characters in these that I've never heard from again. Like you don't see many books with Frankenstein in them, you know, but they were definitely trying something there to see like, look, if it works with Spider-Man, then like it might work with Marvel and uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to give it a shot. And so that's what I appreciated about it. And every character they bring into this they're kind of expecting that like Spider-Man, you've not really heard of them. So if you want to like kind of a crash course on who all these people are in their origin stories, you really do get a lot of that here. No doubt. 
All right, Dan. Well, do we want to get to our interview with J.M. Demetrius to talk a little bit more about the format and some of his own thoughts about what this series meant to Marvel? I don't see any better time than now. Well, now let's meet one of our amazing spider friends, the kind of guy I don't see other friends who recommend. Find out about the things they created. You'll love them so much that you wish you dated. But you're just friends. They're an amazing friend. A friend, a friend, a friend. They're an amazing friend. All right, Dan. Well... Uh, to talk a little bit more about Marvel team up and and the book and the format and kind of some of the the themes that we've been discussing in this episode, we we are joined once again this season by uh, JM Demetrius. JMD, thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate it. Happy to be here. You know, obviously, JMD, you had worked on the original run of Marvel team up a, a bit. Now, I think that was some of your earliest. Oh, it wasn't um, a bit. Sp- it, was, it was three years. In three years. My goodness. Yeah, uh, three year run on that book. Not trying to undersell you, I probably. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I mean, that that was probably your first work with Spider-Man at that it point, was, right? It was. It yeah. was. That was pretty much my, as a writer, my introduction to Spider-Man. Yeah. So, I mean, in addition to kind of learning about the character, I mean, like, I don't know, the the the, the whole idea of a team-up book, it, it, it kind of fascinates me. Uh, I, I I might have a little bit of a of maybe an over-appreciation for Marvel team-up as a series. I, I think to me, part of what I always find interesting about it is, you know, regardless of who the creator is, I mean, even regardless of what the time, the timeline is, because I think even when the book has kind of been relaunched in recent years, it still kind of follows this idea. I feel like there's kind of a form to Marvel team up. It's, you know, the, these, these stories follow a similar approach in terms of how they get Spider-Man together with the, the hero du jour and the, and the, the, the villain du jour, I guess. And, and I'm kind of curious, you know, from your standpoint as a writer, I mean, were you kind of conscious of that or am i just overanalyzing how these stories well, you know, are put together the, 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 you know the classic one used to be you know the hero the two heroes meet they misunderstand each other they punch each other for a while they realize that they're both on the same side and they go fight the villain and again it's been a long time but i i think i tried to upend that as much as i could in my stories because even by then it was it was sort of a cliche you know, um, the, you know, it happened all the time in the 60s uh, and it was very cool when it did because we hadn't seen it before. But by the 80s, we'd seen it a lot. And um, I know I, I really kind of floundered in the beginning trying to find the right tone for the book. I think my first maybe five or six issues, if I look back, I just could see myself just not quite finding my feet yet. And when I finally did, um, for me, what made the book work was, yeah, there are there are cliches inherent in team up stories. I mean, team up stories on one level are inherently preposterous, especially when you've got Spider-Man, who in those days more than ever was, was he was the loner hero. He was the guy off in the corner. It was a very rare thing and a big thing when he got involved with, you know, the Avengers or the Fantastic Four or whatever it is, unlike today, where, you know, he, he's just another one of the heroes, it seems. So having him team up with somebody every month on one level was inherently preposterous. On another level, as a reader, it was a great thing because you love Spider-Man, you love these other characters, and you get to see them uh, together, which you normally don't do. You, you know, in, in, in some way, it was like, you know, these team-up books, whether it was at Marvel or DC, they almost like they should have existed in their own universe, kind of like the Marvel-DC crossovers, you know, they exist yeah. in their own little universe. But what I tried to do as once I kind of figured the book out was uh, what I try to do with any story, which is make it matter. So the good, the good news was that, that Tom DeFalco, who was editing the books at the time, didn't want Team Up to be that book over in the corner. So we would have meetings, and there were things that were happening in Peter's life that happened in Marvel Team Up. 
that then impacted things in Amazing Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man. And I think what I what I ended up getting, uh, they I got the Aunt May angles of the story. That was when Aunt May was living in the the Restwell nursing home. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. And she had a whole supporting cast of characters there. And they kind of handed that off to me. So significant things could happen with those characters in Marvel team-up while we were telling our monthly wild team-up story. Um, so they tried to, on that level, make those make the book matter that way. But what I tried to do was make it matter for Spider-Man and whoever the team-up uh, character was that month, make it matter for them emotionally and psychologically. Let there be some real stakes for them. Not just like just another sort of adventure, like isn't it cool we get to see Spider-Man and Daredevil together? Let's see it matter. And if it doesn't matter for them, then let it really matter for the villain. There has to be some something really meaningful and deep happening in the story. And and I think I think once I got I, I kind of moved along and worked out the kinks for most of that run, I think I was able to do that. How much of your mental calculus was focused in each issue on kind of fighting back against the Spider-Man loner status, as you said, you know, like uh, it's a lot to have a book have to seemingly justify that decision every issue of its run. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's true. But, you know, it, it's sort of just a given in a team-up book, and there's <laughs> nothing you can do about it. You're not going to say this month there'll be no team-up, you know? Although I did do one one team-up. Um, it was a two-parter, and the second part of it was Mr. Fantastic and Spider-Man, and it turns out at the end of the story that it wasn't Spider-Man at all. It was somebody posing as Spider-Man. So it's really just a Mr. Fantastic story. But yeah, that you know, it's inherent in there. So again, all you can do is like, well, we have these two characters together. What can I do to make this uh, make this really matter? And 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 you know, there's no reason why a team up story shouldn't be as emotionally gripping, as psychologically interesting, as a story that's happening in the regular Spider-Man book. So, I mean, with all that in mind, and I know you had you had just mentioned, you know, during your run, how you tried to make sure that the book was kind of on par and uh, on the same level as the other Spider-Man books. But I mean, kind of looking back on the legacy of the series, if you will, um, I mean, where, where do you see kind of Marvel team ups place? I mean, is it, does, do you feel like it kind of stands with the other Spider-Man books? I mean, is it a Spider-Man book or is it just kind of a generic Marvel book? Uh, you know, I'm always kind of curious from the people who worked on these, where they see where the standing of these books. Right. Well, probably when I was working on it, I definitely felt like, you know, I was third in the pecking order on Team Up. You know, there was Amazing Spider-Man, which is the flagship, and then Spectacular, and then uh, Marvel Team Up. And and yeah, it's it's sort of like it's own, it, despite the fact that I think probably anybody that's going to work on a Team Up book is going to try to make it be more than just that that setup. They are. They're their own little unique thing. And you think of them as I, at least I do. It's still sort of think of it as its own little universe. And when people look back at the classic Spider-Man stories of all time, chances are they're not going to be Spider-Man team-up stories. And there have been some great Spider-Man team-up stories you know, by lots of different uh, writers and artists. But those aren't the stories that we go back to and think about, really. And yet there's something so inherently fun in the premise. Just like you know, Batman, Brave and the Bold comic at, at DC, it's the same thing. Batman, of all people, teaming up with somebody else every month. It's more preposterous than Spider-Man teaming up with somebody. And, you know, when I wrote for the Bra uh, lots of episodes of the Brave and the Bold cartoon, it was some of the most fun I ever had. But if you really look at it, inherently, it doesn't make any sense. And yet those team-up comics are a lot of fun in the same way that when you watch these movies and you go to see the Avengers and suddenly you look at the screen and there's like 3,000 different Marvel characters all standing there together. <laughs> and even if it on one level it feels preposterous, there's a 12-year-old kid in your soul going, that's so cool. <laughs> you know? 
you know, and I think that's what team up books do. It, it it appeals to that just complete little kid nerd fan. That's so cool. This month I get to see Spider Man and Captain America together. That's great, you know. And it's just fun. There's an inherent fun in the stories because we're getting to play with mixing them, mix and match with these characters month after month. I would agree with that 100. percent Like I mean, just kind of to what you were saying with the movies and I think part of again why I have this appreciation for the series I mean going back to like Infinity War I mean like I think one of my favorite things is you know the Battle of Titan and it's like there's Spider-Man like you know putting web web fluid in in Thanos's eyes at one point on another planet and it's like it's such a preposterous thing because he's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man yeah. he's this teenage kid and yet like it's just hard as a fan of the of this world to not get excited to see these like wholly unique situations and combinations of heroes and villains and this you know this one doesn't normally interact with this guy but now they right. are because right. that's what the story dictates I, I i mean it's just kind of like i said you know you, you bringing up maybe kind of almost existing on its own timeline is an interesting idea almost like as an elseworld or something like that but yeah, yeah it's just like it's hard not to really go lean into the fun and and the, the preposterousness of it yeah, it's just there. It's just a fun thing. We love these characters. So how are we not going to love when you when you when you take a random pairing and stick them together like that? You know, and and I enjoyed, you know, often looking for more obscure characters to team them up with, whether it's, you know, Devil Slayer or there was one I did was Spider-Man and the Watcher. You know, I always I'm always drawn to the more obscure when I wrote the Defenders of the more obscure the character I could find, the better it was it was for me, you know, because um, you also get a lot more freedom when you grab an obscure character. Uh, when you grab the big name characters, you can only bend and twist them just a little bit. When you grab an obscure character, you can bend them and twist them in a thousand different ways. Well, let me let me poke you on that a little bit. You know, the the more obscure it gets, the more I guess research is involved. I mean, that's the challenge of writing the team up book. Seemingly to me, is that you're bringing in all these other worlds. You have to see how they fit together for one, but you also have to make sure it's faithfully represented. So, I guess I'm curious. Um, how did you generally like research those characters and universes when you were writing the book? Yeah, I, I, I didn't have to research it because I was a fan. I knew these characters. <laughs> and, you know, and plus, you know, at the same time that I was writing Team Up, I was writing Captain America and the Defenders. So you'd see a bunch of Defenders characters kind of weaving through the book. There's a Valkyrie team up. There's the Gargoyle. There's this one. There's mm -hmm. Damon Hellstrom showing up. And Captain America showed up. And, and in a way, what I tried to do, which I realized in retrospect I wasn't doing it consciously, but I was kind of carving out my own little sub-universe so that all my books that I was writing kind of linked up in a way. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. So when these crossovers happened with the Defenders, it, it, it also mattered more because it would have repercussions in the Defenders books. And, and Captain America would come in and that could have repercussion when he goes back into his own book. In fact, if you look at, at Craven's Last Hunt, there are echoes in there of a Marvel team-up story where I had Spider-Man and Captain America and Vermin in it. And Vermin refers back to the, the, the encounter with Spider-Man and Captain America in Craven's Last Hunt. Again, an, a, a chance to make those stories matter more. And the person that read the Captain America team-up, when they're reading Craven's Last Hunt, it has a little extra resonance for them. It has a little extra meaning and meat. So what you're saying is they should include that Captain America team-up book in the collections of Craven's Last Hunt. You know, they might have done that. They put out, a, really? they put out a, <laughs> this past year, they put out a big Craven collection with all these different tangential stories uh, that kind of played into it. And uh, uh, it's on my shelf somewhere, so I don't have it in front of me. But I think they might have even included that story. Oh, my gosh. I have to collection. check that out. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, they, it was it was great because they had they had Craven's Last Hunt, they had Soul of the Hunter, they had an annual I think that I did call uh, which was recasting his first encounter with Craven as Craven's first hunt. Um, so they they took in a lot of other stories, put it all together in this massive Craven volume, and it was really kind of cool. And I think I can't swear to it, but I'm pretty sure that Captain America story was in there. See, Dan, this just gives more credence to what I said in our last review episode, where we were talking about Vermin and Vermin's place as a as a Craven accessory, and I was like, no, he's a he's a JMD accessory. Like this is not, you know, I say, you know, Vermin is like, you know, he's 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 pre-existed Craven's Last Hunt. I mean, so he was we a go. Captain America villain. He started yeah. out as when Mike Zeck and I were doing Captain America. That's when he first appeared. Yeah. Any yeah. opportunity to have Mike Zeck draw a grotesque character like Vermin is one worth having. Yeah, any opportunity to have Mike Zeck draw anything is worth one worth having. Sure. Well, uh, you know, not not to not to end with a kind of a, a a softball here, but I mean, is was there a favorite story of of Marvel team up either from yourself or that you read prior to you, your run on it? I mean, I'm just kind of curious, like if anything stands out to you. I know you said earlier that a lot of these stories don't necessarily stand out the way I guess some of the amazing stories or spectacular stories do, but I'm just kind of curious because I, I have some favorites, even, you know, so. You know, it's funny, and I'm, as you're asking this, I'm realizing I wasn't a big Marvel team-up reader before I wrote the book. <laughs> it was one of those books that I remember, I'm sure I bought it in the beginning, and then it just kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah. Uh, so as a reader, I was like, oh, this is a third-tier book. But I, I remember, didn't Claremont and Byrne do, like, Spider-Man and Red Sonja? Was it Red yep. Sonja? yep. I remember that story stands out in my brain as being really, really excellent. Uh, that's the one that, that I remember more than any other. And of my own stories, there are probably two that, that stand out. One was that one with Spider-Man and the Watcher that I mentioned before. It was a Christmas story. It was a very emotional story. And there was one with Spider-Man and uh, the Gargoyle from the Defenders. It was also a very, very uh, grounded, human, very emotional story. Both were drawn by Kerry Gamble, who drew at least like half my run and great, great artist. And one of those artists that can really sell facial expressions and emotions. So he really sold those stories. And then there was another one with the beast also that, um, again, it really, really turned, it was an important story for the beast and it really turned on a lot of emotion. And those are the stories when I think about my favorites of my run that I returned to. Well, that's awesome. I can't wait to go reread those. Well, thanks again, uh, James Damatez for joining us to talk about Marvel team up. My pleasure. Well, thanks again to J.M. Demetrius for all those great insights on his time working on Marvel Team Up, as well as kind of just looking at the book as a whole. Uh, you know, it's 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 funny again. You know, Dan, he was talking about some stuff related to the book, and, and maybe it was more truer when he was working on it in terms of like the format and and the the, the sameness of the book. Because, like you're saying, the earlier issues that we're kind of focusing on this season seem to kind of run the gamut in terms of tone and and what their focus were, but. Um, the book definitely just kind of settled in after a while um, in, into what it was going to be. With that in mind, though, um, do you want to talk about like some of your favorite stories or, or stories that stuck out? To, I mean, this is super fresh in your mind. You've been binging this book. I mean, I, I have my affinities and loves, but, but what about you? What, 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 what comes to mind thinking the Marvel team up now that I forced you to read this book for the first time? <laughs> well, I think I'll, let me get the sort of stuff out of the way that's not Claremont Byrne, because I think we're going right. to focus on that heavily because it's right. just so good. Um, well, do you, do you want to start from the very beginning? Because I always found it so <laughs> odd 
that the first issue of this book is a Christmas story. It, and it's, it's, a, and it's a really bad one, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> like it's Gladiator it's Sandman. And, <laughs> and and Sandman in his like, you know, like redesigned attire that nobody likes. It's, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's not a great story. Uh, when I read that, I was like, I got 70 of these to read. I was like preparing myself for a real nightmare. Although I think it's the first appearance of like sympathetic Sandman, which for the record would end up inspiring the Ra- the third Raimi movie for better or for worse. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but 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 you know, making him more of a sympathetic character. But yeah, I mean, what a what a weird way to start off a new book with a holiday issue. I mean, usually that's like something, you know, usually the Christmas album is like the the played out uh, artist's like 12th album not the first album right <laughs> yeah but it's it, it makes sense to me even through like a marvel lens currently today you know like because now they've launched books in the middle of like major crossover arcs and i think that's almost even more of a disaster but you could see them being like this is an event book it's a christmas book we're gonna have a lot of people pick it up if we make it Christmassy. it's the same kind of thing that you know immediately ages a book but they but it's like a marketing gimmick technique Along the lines of something you might see today. Absolutely. So beyond that one, what what other things stand out to you um, in terms of the weirdness of this book? I, there's there's a story early on that stands out to me, and I think it stands out to you too. If these notes are leading me. Correctly. Oh sure, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Like this, like we were saying earlier, this book really tried like a bunch of different things, and some of them work and some of them don't. But there's like a weird part of the Bill Mantlo run where like Marvel clearly must have told Bill or he got this idea in his head that like we're going to explore like classic literature in the pages of Marvel team up. And so you get these like story arcs where like the story of Frankenstein is playing out alongside this like alt history Marvel, you know, version where it's like, yeah, the story of Frankenstein happened you know, but then Frankenstein's monster is also going to go on this journey with Spider-Man through the Swiss Alps or something like that. And it's really strange. Um, and Frankenstein just kind of wanders off at the end. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like Spider-Man is now contributing to his misery. Um, but then the one that's even weirder to me is we get Spider-Man traveling through time, you know, and and being a part of the Salem witch trials with Scarlet Witch and a bunch of other people, and it the, the exact plot of the Crucible is playing out while while this is going on. And they're very faithful to the Crucible, but they're sure to tell you that outside the pages of the Crucible, this other whole thing with this like demon and all this other stuff is going on. If you were just look beyond the pages of the Crucible, and it's really uh, I, I thought this was like one of the most painful stories if not like outlandish of the book. Um, uh, you know, there's time travel. Dr. Doom shows up and there's a team up with Spider-Man and Dr. Doom at one point. It's really weird. And to me, it's like kind of the exemplar of what Marvel team up is. It's like, it keeps having to one up itself over and over and over again. And you're like, where the hell is this going? Uh, <laughs> that was a big one that stood out to me. Is that what you were thinking of Mark? Yeah, well, there's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to remember because these stories do kind of blend together. Like you said, it's like it's 
it's like a five six part issue but it's also kind of like two mini arcs of like three issues it's there was there's the one with kang where he's like kind of going back through time right and it's it's just really nuts and it's like this is not a spider-man story at all like this could be anybody i mean like there's nothing inherently spider-man about this book yeah and at the end of the 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 you know the uh thing with the crucible you know spider-man gets back in the time machine and then he gets like flung into like various points you know from the past to the future you know and and that stuff's kind of fun and it's like there's a one where he's like fighting against an army of children alongside deathlock that have these kind of mind control cubes uh, you know it, it gets really crazy um you know and 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 even claremont gets a bit weird when he sends him to like the blue side of the moon where he teams up with adam warlock and gets involved in like the infinity gem stuff and the gardener shows up and like risk and depowers his infinity gem. Like there's some really high level Marvel stuff going on in this book when it lets itself get really weird. Right. Of course that, that book with Warlock, I mean, it was, um, it did have some uh, pencils by Byrne. It had a cover by Dave Cockrum. I mean, that's the thing. Like these are like really famous Marvel people doing these books and it's like you read these books and you're like what the hell is this thing <laughs> like 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 who and why are these people working on this book but it, it's 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 really interesting and for the record that Spider-Man Warlock book is on Marvel Limited at least it was for a while unless they, I don't think they generally take anything down do they um, no they don't yeah so that's one you can find if like I, I thought that was kind of odd. I, I don't even remember when that went up. It was it might have been like it was before well before Infinity War. It was a couple of years ago, but it was like during like the build up with all the Thanos stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, what a random out of nowhere issue of Marvel team up. This. And it's technically the third part of a, of a three part story, the one with Warlock. But, you know. They just put that one issue up there. So you can you can check that out to get a cosmic Spider-Man story before he saves the world from Thanos by throwing himself on a on a, you know, a prison, a prison cube or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, a.k.a. the essential Spider-Man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, I do want to highlight like books that are the opposite of that, though. Like, OK, if my, there's one major complaint. I mentioned this earlier that I have about Marvel team up is that like. Spider-Man and his world seems very like ill-represented in this book. Oftentimes, like Spider-Man just seems to be the everyman fill-in guy, but mm -hmm. it really could just be almost any superhero. And sometimes they deal with some of the themes of Spider-Man, like you know his do not kill stuff when when that's convenient to the story. But you know, there's a couple issues that I think really involve Spider-Man's world that are a lot of fun, like uh, Marvel Team Up issue number twenty-seven where um, it's a Spider-Man and Hulk team up book. Although he and the Hulk kind of fight because the Hulk remembers him, you know, you know, from an Avengers issue fighting against him, but they're fighting against the chameleon. And to me, this was very much involved in the world of Spider-Man. It's got like Mary Jane and Jonah in it. And it felt like an issue of amazing Spider-Man just in a different magazine. And I really appreciated it for that because it's like, Oh good. Like, Spider-Man's not just a throwaway character here. But I think the one that really stands out to me is this arc from um, issues 39 to 41, which um, actually came back in recent memory in the Nick Spencer run. Um, this is These are the issues about the, the reappearance of the crime master and the big man. And Sandman also shows up in this issue back in his normal attire. You know, there's there's this whole thing about like, oh, my God, the crime master and big man are back. I thought they were both dead. And it turns out that it's both of their children 
who had like met each other and fallen in love and then resumed the identities of their parents. And then ultimately like, you know, the, the big man kills uh, the crime master and, you know, it's a tragic like Romeo Juliet thing, although he doesn't kill himself because they think he would later appear in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man under Nick Spencer's run. But to me, this was like, wow, this is really what the sh- book should be in, in my mind, which is kind of like, you know, introducing new characters through the lens of Spider-Man's world in some way. Maybe not all the time, but it was nice to see like this felt like a substantial Spider-Man story in the pages of this book. Uh, the second part of that arc you're talking about uh, does mark the first full color appearance of the Sons of the Tiger, which I guess would be uh, like an ancillary of the uh, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu uh, universe of Spider-Man. Again, like not something you necessarily think of all the time when you're thinking of the world of Spider-Man, like that, you know, the Deadly Hands of Kung Fu stuff. But that was what kind of made this book kind of fun. Like you would have that kind of connection out of nowhere. Like, oh, now I'm reading a Kung Fu book. Cool. I love the justification (laughs) of it too. Is that like, they're like, okay, we have to uh, like one up this by bringing in new people for the next issue. So they're just like next door. (laughs) Like they're like working out and they're like, there's some loud noises going on next door. Let's go check it out. And that was like the genius way of roping them in. (laughs) So another kind of historic issue uh, that's worth mentioning here. Marvel team up number fifty three. It's a it's a Hulk, Spider Man team up, but it also uh, ropes in the X Men, and the pencils were by John Byrne, and that is John Byrne's first official work on the X Men. So there you go, man. Marvel With team Bill up. Bill Mantlo writing it, but it's it's yeah. a striking issue. I mean, like it's obvious why he would go on to write the X or draw the X Men after this. I mean, yeah. it, it it looks like classic Byrne X Men, like. He was just day one ready to do it. Yeah, but it's kind of like how, and I mean, we'll talk about this at a later date, but, you know, Frank Miller got his first work on Daredevil in the pages of Spectacular Spider-Man a few years later that, you know, Byrne would do it in a, a, a Spider-Man B book as well. I, I, I love that kind of stuff. I think that's really awesome. I think it's a good transition to talk about some of the Claremont Byrne stuff. Are you into that or uh, do you? Let's do, do it there? because this has got to be talked about. It's one of those things where, you know, like I, I, not not to sound like certain political leaders of the world where like just because I'm noticing something for the first time doesn't mean that it actually is happening for the first time. Uh, you know, but people are saying that, uh, you know, Claremont and Burns started working together on Marvel team up before they were on X-Men. And that's, you know, people are really talking about it, Dan. <laughs> uh, like that was a, a revelation I had like five or six years ago. And that's what really got me to do an even deeper dive on this series because I was like, I, I, I was flipping through some old trade paperbacks and I found this this Claremont Burn run and it, it collects issues, hold on, number 59 through 70 and 75. The only one it doesn't have in there that's a Claremont Burn issue is, and I forget the exact number of it, but it's a Red Sonja uh, team up and that's just because Marvel lost the uh, publishing rights to Red Sonja uh, and that's for the record that's a pretty good issue too that's a fun one it's uh, basically like Mary Jane and, and Peter are, are at the Museum of Natural History and you know hijinks encounter and, and Mary Jane becomes Red Sonja so you know that's I don't know I thought that's cool uh, there's, there's a lot of like fanboys out there of Mary Jane that are like Mary Jane in a bikini for the whole book I'm on it 
Uh, that's issue number 79. Sorry for the delay on that one, guys. So as great as Burn is doing X-Men in that one issue, I mean, like, his Spider-Man's great here. And, like, we didn't see this from Byrne when he would come back to Spider-Man years later. I mean, you know, at that point, Byrne is, like, a superstar in the industry, so his name alone should be selling comics. But, like, to me, like, looking at the artwork in these books, like, that's selling comics to me. Like, this this work is just so striking and dynamic. I mean, he looks like he's born to do Spider-Man here. You're not, you're not kidding, Mark. Uh, this stuff, to me, blew my mind. I mean, for the record, like, I was reading through all these issues, and I was like, Mark... I don't know if I'm going to make it in time. It's just a lot, you know, like uh, b- between my work and, and stuff like that, like just reading all of this was really time consuming and in a good way. I mean, I, I'm very devoted to the show, but like, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the end of all these 70 issues. And you were like, you have to do it because it gets good at the end because you get the, you know, Claremont burn. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to stick through it. And the minute I read the first issue with the two of them, it was like, Oh my God, Mark is right. Uh, so on the point you just made about burn, like, wow. I mean, I, I think in some ways it's Todd McFarlane before Todd McFarlane. Like he makes Spider-Man look cool in a way that I don't think any of the other artists on these books had done yet. Um, like there's stuff in here that like, I had to keep reminding myself, like this is before Todd McFarlane. Um, because it's just, it's so reminiscent of it. Like, uh, and, and, but more grounded and boy, uh, you can see why he was a big deal and given so much range later on. I just don't think that his artwork in like, you know, the nineties and aughts was really quite up to, you know, this level, but really awesome stuff. But, you know, on the other hand, Claremont, honestly, Mark, I think this is one of the best depictions of Spider-Man ever written into a comic. It just, you don't get any of the Peter Parker stuff, unfortunately, or as much of it as I would like, but Spider-Man in costume, he's like funny. A lot of monologuing, I feel like, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like a lot of him saying Fushugana, which is really (laughs) weird because he's not like Jewish, but like Claremont was really into that for some reason. But like, other than that, like, I mean, it's just fabulous. And the way that he depicts Spider-Man in, um, like, aerial combat, you know, it's a combination between the two. But, like, the way that he's scripted it for Byrne to draw, I, I, I'm imagining that's how that worked out. Like, it, it best understands this character, you know, and, and the way that his action would work. And like I said earlier, he also really works in a lot of Spider-Man's universe into this book when he can, like constantly referring to Gwen Stacy in a way that even Jerry Conway didn't quite do, you know, in Amazing Spider-Man after Gwen's death. Like, it feels to me like Claremont really wanted to, like, have a a larger chance to work on this guy. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the, the thing with Claremont is, you know, I think some people who are critical of his work on X-Men, they talk about the fact that he kind of overwrites a little bit but like i think here it works really well because i feel like he is kind of yeah you're right he's not getting into the peter parker stuff per se but i feel like in terms of like spider-man psychologically in costume it really gets to the character in a way many other writers don't even bother especially on this book but on any book like they don't want to like talk about spider-man the person when he's in character because it's like you know it's supposed to be this like souped up elevated version of him but like i i appreciate how claremont like really kind of 
takes time and, and care and attention to, to Spider-Man in costume and, and, and really tells some riveting stuff. And then when you mix it with Burns' artwork, I mean, the, the thing is, like, I know these two don't apparently get along that well. I mean, you know, it's kind of their two just superstars that would eventually end up butting heads. But it's clear that these guys are hell of storytellers together. I mean, like, this is this is like, you know, their best work is when they're together. There's no way around it. Yeah. And I mean, when it, when an issue doesn't sing in their run, like I think the Hulk uh, like Moondog issue is not particularly interesting, you know, and it's because it doesn't have as much psychologically going on right. in it. But like there's some really stunning things like you asked me to choose like my favorite stuff from their run. And it's hard because it's all really good. I mean, like even just starting off with like the Black Widow Silver Samurai issue. I mean, just even, you know, the, forget the depictions of Black Widow and, and Spider-Man. Silver Samurai is so cool to look at. I, I mean, I, I wish I had something deeper to say about it, but like it is so like he just gets cool. Yeah. And of course, like um, they were working on Iron Fist at the time, too. I think their work on Iron Fist actually predates Marvel Team Up. And they bring in a great Iron Fist story here. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge Iron Fist fan. And that's not just because of the Netflix series, Dan. But like issue 6364, which involves the um, the Silver Serpent. I mean, this is this is some really cool stuff. And it's some really cool stuff with Danny Rand, who, of course, they obviously have an affinity and a history with. So they kind of have a license to go a little deeper with him as the guest star. But like... These these are good comics and and um, not for nothing there was a a, a recent uh, Iron Fist compilation that Marvel put up and I guess it's that epic collection that they do and it was like all of the Claremont Byrne Iron Fist stuff and then they collected these two these two issues from Marvel Team Up in there too so like there's an acknowledgement from Marvel that this is an essential part of the 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 Danny Rand mythos which I think is pretty cool oh sure like his like villain like flat out like dies in this or, you know, or, yeah. or like at least involves their relationship. One of the stories that I really liked from this was issues 59 and 60, where they fight where Spider-Man teams up with yellow jacket and the wasp to take on this character named Equinox, which is this kind of like misunderstood kid that gets this power that has him like oscillating between like Iceman and fireman or not. Uh, uh, sorry. Iceman and the Human Torch. Who is Fireman? Firestorm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know that they worked, workshopped Fireman and then were like, we can't call a character Fireman. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Iceman and the Human Torch, like they have an issue together of Marvel team up without Spider-Man. But this character comes back and, you know, it's so cool. Like when he's the guy, character's in flames, he's shooting ice out of his hands. And, you know, uh, Claremont and Byrne go crazy with this idea. And it's this, like, citywide epic where, like, all the power goes out and Yellow Jacket is seemingly murdered. Um, It's a really cool story. And um, it's, like, sexy, too, which is really neat because so many of these Marvel books seem, like, very, like, like sexless. Like, they're, they're not, like, sexy, but, like... You know, you're, you're, I mean, this is like the Todd McFarlane, David Michelinie stuff with Mary Jane kind of coming into the book a little early. Uh, you know, I, I, I like that kind of stuff when, you know, when it's done tastefully. And uh, I thought that this story was a lot of fun. Yeah. And of course, my all time favorite um, Claremont Byrne Marvel team up story, Dan, and, and uh, a note for our readers who remember our essential series from yesteryear. I actually had this on my short list until the bitter end and I forget what I ended up bumping it for, but I, I chickened out Dan, I'll admit, because I was like, oh, there's no way I'll ever be able to sell people on this random Marvel team up story. But it's number 69 and 70. It's a two parter. The tale of the living monolith 
uh, starring uh, Havoc and then eventually Thor. But Dan, I, I mean, everything about this story just sings to me. I mean, outside of the fact that, you know, Havoc is essentially being used as a battery. Uh, <laughs> but uh, like he's a Duracell, but he's our he's our Duracell. But like, I mean, the, the spreads in this are wild, especially issue 70 when the living uh, the living monolith becomes like this, you know, huge walking monster through the streets of Manhattan. I mean, Byrne is just having so much fun, like this, you know, basically depicting like this Godzilla like uh you know presence in Manhattan and like I, I love the banter between Spider-Man and Thor there's this great uh spread uh where um Spider-Man is kind of like tumbling to his death and and the and Thor just kind of sweeps in at the last minute and is like I got your back man because you're always you've been there for me too and it's like it's such a great little like fist pump moment in terms of fandom of these two, of these two heroes but like this this story like it just gets me going I feel like it gets Spider-Man the art's fantastic it's a really cool villain that's visually different that you wouldn't see obviously in a Spider-Man book you know to me this is what this this is what this book is about this is why I like this book so much and I would even argue that some of the visuals from this informed like things like Civil War like there's a really standout um, image in this book of like Havoc and the monolith blasting at each other. That's very reminiscent of like Tony Stark and Captain America with the shield and repulsor beams image that was like in the movie and in the comics. Uh, There's a lot like of amazing art in those two issues that you're referencing. One of the interesting things that I found and really enjoyed in this story was Marvel team up number 67, which is also a Claremont burn issue. And it's with Tigra, as the mm. team up, although she kind of seems like the villain for much of it. And it's a really excellent Craven story. In fact, I would say it's one of the best Craven stories I have ever read. And Craven has this kind of like mind control collar around Tigra's neck. And he's kind of got her like uh, princess Leia in like Jabba, you know, uh, like kind of chained to his, you know, I don't know, his lounge or whatever. And, uh, you know, he's craven. He's like got all these mists going everywhere. And, uh, you know, uh, he has her and Spider-Man kind of fighting to the death. And Spider-Man even opines in it that, like, this is Craven's goal to push him past his limits to kill Tigra because that's the only way he'll survive. And it's, it's exactly the themes of the hunted story that we've been going through. And, uh, you know, I think done in a more kind of like concise manner because it's only one issue. Um, of this and the art is incredible and really scary with Craven. And, um, what's even more curious to me is that the title of the book is called, um, Tigra, Tigra burning bright. Aha. English um, majors. <laughs> yeah. It's so it's a reference to the William Blake poem that was also referenced in Craven's last hunt. So, um, you know, I thought, well, that can't be, you know, an accident because like there are not many Craven stories between like his introduction and Craven's last hunt. And this would probably be one of the last stories of Craven in it before Craven's last hunt that I can think of. And so I reached out to JMD again and asked him like, Hey, was this, you know, inspiration to your story at all? Like, it seems odd that this book would come out with a William Blake reference in it. And your book also has a William Blake reference in it. And he said, no, I never read that book. I was a fan of William Blake long before this in my teens. Um, and so I'll have to take him at his word, but it does seem very uh, curious to me that William Blake was associated with Craven well before 
Craven's Last Hunt. So, I mean, you know, take that for what you will, but like, um, this story is very reminiscent to those stories. Like they, even at the end, Craven gets into this whole thing about like how he's a, you know, a character who has a certain like ethical code and, and how he like won't kill Spider-Man because he believes in, you know, like the, you know, the honor of the fight. And, um, I don't know. I find it hard to believe that like this story was not considered before Craven's Lost Hunt because so many of the ideas are the same. Yeah, it could just be one of those cosmic coincidences or maybe, you know, faulty memories. But either way, it's it's like you said, it's another cool example. Like I said to you, Dan, like if you're going to read, if you're going to hang with this series for anything, it's to get to these issues. I mean, there there are a lot of cool things that actually follow um, these ones, I guess, would technically be stuff we might talk about in season four, maybe. I don't know if we'll do a whole episode of Marvel Team Up. Um, but the fact of the matter is, like, if you're going to do anything, it's to, re- you know, read these 11, 12 issues. They're really something else. Really cool stuff. Is it, uh, There's also a Man-Thing team up in there. When else are you going to read a Man-Thing story if you're a Spider-Man fan? Well, I mean, I, I have to say, like, I was so into the Claremont Burns stuff. I might even go and try to collect these. Are these things that are part of your collection? I have some of them. I don't have the full run though, because they're kind of they're hard to find. Because people, I think, have recognized the fact that these are these are good comics, and and they've assigned, I think, a disproportionate value to them as a result. You know what I mean? Like compared to the other books in this series. And in the context of like our our season, the Bronze Age, to me, this this series is very you know emblematic of the Bronze Age. It's kind of Marvel kind of flexing itself and figuring out like. What tones can Marvel really in- incorporate into its writing and and what tones can Spider-Man bear? You know, so you have issues that are very like dark, like the Gene DeWolf stuff where it's about like a father and son wrestling over their like bodies and stuff, you know, and then you get really silly kind of frivolous stuff. And by the end of it, you kind of land on something truly powerful that kind of take Marvel onto its next stage with the kind of Claremont Burn stuff and how X-Men would really kind of push the industry forward and uh, I thought it was really interesting, even just from like a comic standpoint, from like a much larger, you know, avenue. It's like this really is indicative of the books that we're talking about during the season. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for our sixth episode of our third season of the all new Amazing Spider Talk. Uh, Dan, what is coming down the pike for our next show? Well, Mark, um, I'm not going to say anything specific because we're trying to line up a bunch of creators to join us for the next few shows. And I think it's going to be really awesome. We have the topics put together, but I'm not ready to reveal it just yet. But I'll just say this. Hang in there. Two weeks. We're going to have episode seven of our season three. And I think whatever it ends up being based on what we can line up, it's going to be fabulous. And I can't wait to have you guys all join us. Wonderfully vague, Dan. I love it. That titillates me. <laughs> I uh, mean, we, we we have a lot of exciting things, but like, I don't want to make a promise and then not deliver on it because I think some of these promises are really exciting. Absolutely. I agree with that one 100%. Uh, also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed this week for a special review of Amazing Spider-Man number 22. There's no better place to join on the Patreon bandwagon to the join us for our exciting coverage of this run. Remember, for just $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, Swarm B-Book reviews, extended interviews, mailbags, and more. And for $10 or more a month, you'll get access to some awesome commissioned artwork, this time from Barry Kitson. Also, be sure to check out our sister show, The Untold Talks of Spider-Man, which are they're on a bit of a hiatus. And I kind of wanted to address this on the show is that like 
you know, our hosts over there, Kane and Matthew, have kind of been going through a lot, e- each of them. So I know that some people are confused, like, where did that show go? And, and why aren't they doing the B title books in the Patreon. And it's because like Kane moved across the country and is doing a lot of things. And Matthew's family, they just had a, a, a newborn child, but then also they had to evacuate their home um, due to the flooding in the middle of the country. And so um, I just kind of wanted to extend our hearts to both of those hosts. They're very keen on coming back on the show, but like, you know, life is kind of, you know, like forcing them to not be able to do it. And like, just be patient, everybody. And in the meantime, I would say like, catch up on their show. If, you know, if you need an opportunity to do so and extend some like, you know, warm regards to them. I know they would love to have some reviews on the iTunes or even just shoot them a message on Twitter. I I, I know they would love to hear your kind of heartfelt thanks. And, and, and I can say for you and I, Mark, that our hearts go out and hope that all these situations resolve themselves quickly. Absolutely. Those are, those are some good words, Dan. I appreciate that. Yeah. And if you, you know, want to, I know that they're often on our spider slack, so you can talk to them there. And so this is an invitation to join for you guys to join our amazing spider slack community, which there's a, a description of in our episode um, description at how to join this community. It's where we all kind of get together as a group and talk about Spider-Man. There are about 150 of you guys in there right now. And I know that I can always count on it for some great Spider-Man conversation, or even right now we're talking about dark Phoenix. We're having a good time over in there. Wow. A good time talking about dark Phoenix. It sounds like a hoot, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how many of us love the movie, but at least we're chatting about it. There you go. There you go. Um, Dan, where else can we find you chatting about stuff on the social meds? Well, yeah, I'm on Twitter at, at sub spider talk, where I was kind of recounting a lot of my run uh, of reading Marvel team up. So if you want to see some kind of silly highlights that I pulled out from the book, go check out my feed. Uh, there's a lot of kind of screenshots and weird things that I found that I kind of had a good laugh about. So that's been a lot of fun. If you kind of want to see more specific thoughts than what I thought on just this podcast. What about you, Mark? Well, didn't we also launch a new Instagram page for amazing spider talk, Dan? Oh my God. How could I forget? Yeah. Amazing spider talk is now on Instagram. Uh, I'm slowly learning about Instagram. I'm much more of a Facebook Twitter kind of guy, but I think we're going to have a much larger presence over there in the coming weeks. So give us, follow us as we're starting. It's just amazing spider talk on Instagram. And I think we're going to have like snippets from the shows a little early and you know, some spider facts that we've pulled from the show. It's just going to be kind of a repository for great, amazing spider talk knowledge. Uh, so look out for us on Instagram. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome, Dan. Well, you could, of course, find me on Twitter at Chasing ASM Blog. Although, am I on Twitter? Dan said to me before the show, you're not really on Twitter anymore. And uh, you're, are you? I thought you were just joking. So let me get back more on Twitter. I, I, I promise as, th- as these words go out to all of you, our faithful listeners, I will be more of a presence on Twitter again. I promise. <laughs> And, you know, Mark, you also reminded me that the show, um, I said it in the opening of the show, we're now on Spotify. So if you need a way to, like, kind of covertly listen to stuff at work or whatever, right. you can listen to our entire library there on Spotify. That's a, That was a long time coming, Dan. That's exciting to hear. Yeah, there were a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that had to be kind of negotiated. I won't get into the sausage there, but safe to say I made it work. And I'm really excited that people are going to be able to listen to us in a new way over there on Spotify. Um, and give us some, you know, listens because it'll help boost us in their kind of algorithmic handling and stuff. I don't want to get into that detail, but, you know, check us out on Spotify. It's all the good content you're used to just in a new place. 
Um, but one of the things is true across all of our different platforms and is baked into the very essence of Amazing Spider Talk. It is our motto, Mark. And what is the heart of our show? The heart of our show, of course, is, Dan, with great podcasts, must also come the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.